I want to talk to you for a few minutes this morning. I'm not going to be a long, long-winded preacher today, but uh, I do want to talk to you uh, on a subject, and, and I'm, I'm going to present it in the form of a question. And the question is simply this, are you stuck? <laughs> I know that's a word that we don't use much anymore, stuck. It literally means to be fastened to or glued to or unable to break free from. One dictionary I uh, checked into said that it can be used in a figurative sense and it means something in your mind that, that you can't seem to stop thinking about. Have you ever had that? Something just gets stuck and you just think of it over and over and over and over again. Um, we, uh, we, we, we don't, as I said, we don't use that word as much as we used to. And, and one of the reasons is because we don't get stuck as much as we used to. Most roads now are paved. Even driveways are paved. But when I was a boy, there were a lot of roads that were still unpaved. And it wasn't un, uh, um, uh, natural to just run into somebody that was having trouble. Maybe they ran into a mud hole or whatever. And they need a little help to get their, their vehicle unstuck and by the way that's a word as well you can look it up <laughs> to break free from they they need to get uh, unstuck um used to see you, you remember when they made cars with bumpers for the purpose of pushing another car that's you and you saw that often somebody'd push somebody help them get started or push them if they were stuck to try to help them get out of a ditch or whatever don't try that now you push somebody now and you'll have an airbag explode in your face. You just, you know, it's a, it's a different day. But, uh, but I can remember getting stuck um, several times. Um, we, I, I, we used to visit some of our relatives up in the mountains of North Georgia, and you literally had to drive through a trout stream. Your vehicle had to go through it to get onto their house. And that was just part of the road. And uh, sometimes you get stuck. Well, I've, I've discovered, and, and especially when I mentioned a while ago when it talked about that thought getting stuck in your mind, there's more ways to get stuck than just physically or with your automobile. You can get stuck mentally. You can get stuck emotionally. You get stuck spiritually. And there are people who are stuck and I want to talk to you today about that. I ask you, are you stuck? And if you are, I hope this message will help you. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you to the book of Deuteronomy in your Old Testament for this message today and for a lesson on how to get unstuck. Um, by the way, if you were to try to determine which Old Testament book has had the greatest influence on the rest of the Bible or on the New Testament, the book of Deuteronomy would certainly be in the top 10, near the top, in fact. The book of Deuteronomy is quoted in 17 of the 27 books of the New Testament. In fact, over 80 times in the New Testament, the book of Deuteronomy is quoted or referred to. How many of you remember Jesus and the temptation in the wilderness when the enemy, after he'd fasted 40 days, you remember that? Satan came to him and said that if you're the son of God, why don't you cause to just, just turn these stones into bread? And Jesus answered, it is written. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Father. You know where Jesus got that? Out of the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, he constantly answered Satan from the book of Deuteronomy. He'd take a fistful of Deuteronomy and just pound him up beside the head with it. And finally, he left him alone for a while. And uh, so the book of Deuteronomy is a wonderful book. In fact, the, the book of Deuteronomy opens. When you begin to read the book of Deuteronomy, cha chapter 1. And by the way, I would suggest in reading Old Testament history, like the book of Deuteronomy, it's, one of the, one of the, uh, it's, it's part of the, um, uh, the, the first five books of the Bible that Moses wrote, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Uh, when, when you read those books, it, it, it might help you to use a more modern translation. So all the scriptures on the screen today are going to be from the New Living Translation. But when the book of Deuteronomy opens, chapter 1 begins with the first of three sermons that Moses preached to the children of Israel near the end of his life. God had already shown him that he was going to take him home. Moses was 120 years old, and God's going to take him home. And, uh, and so Moses gives them three sermons in this book of Deuteronomy for the purpose of helping them on into their future. It's kind of like his legacy that he's leaving with them. The last will and testament. I want you to get this, he's saying to the children of Israel, because you're going to need this as you go forward. And so when you open the book of Deuteronomy, beginning with chapter 1, you're going to get the beginning of the first message. This message is divided into three parts, and I'm going to give you each of those. First of all, there's the introduction in Moses' sermon, and it has three points. First of all, he takes them back to Sinai. All the way back to Sinai. Now, remember, they're, they're right now up against the promised land. They're, they're getting prepared to go into the promised land. But Moses starts off by going back. In fact, let's read from chapter 1, verses 6 and the first part of 7. When we were at Mount Sinai, the Lord our God said to us, You have stayed at this mountain long enough. It's time to break camp and move on. Moses said, Remember? When we were back at Sinai, by the way, Sinai is the mountain that God just uh, appeared on it and it shook and, and, and it looked like it was on fire with the presence of God. And God called Moses up to the top of that. Moses fasted for 40 days and God gave him the Ten Commandments. Of course, he brought them down and saw the wickedness of the people and made him mad and he broke all ten of the commandments at one time. Um, he threw them down. He broke the tablets. You, know, you understand what I'm saying? <laughs> and then he had to go back to the mountain and start over. And he fasted 40 more days. Now, that's supernatural. The physical body could not do that. Not two 40-day fasts back to back. God supernaturally sustained Moses at Mount Sinai. So Mount Sinai has a very, very special place in the history of Israel. And so he takes them back there and reminds them. He says, you remember, we, we were, God gave us the Ten Commandments and everything. But there came a day when God spoke to us and God said, you've been at this mountain long enough now. It's time to go forward. In other words, I, I want to take you to my promise. I want to take you to your destiny. There's some of you this morning, God's ready for you to break camp and move. You've sat where you are long enough. It's time for you to, to move forward. God wants to take you to another level. 
And so God spoke this to them. Second thing he, he did in this introduction to his sermon, he reminded them of how long the journey from Sinai to the promised land should have been. In fact, how long it was they made the journey. Anybody got any guesses? Well, look at verse 2 and you'll see. Verse 2 says, Normally it takes only 11 days to travel from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea going by the way of Mount Seir. See what Moses is saying? Moses is saying, when God told us to break camp and move towards our promised land, we were only 11 days away. So we broke camp, we took that journey, and we, we got there. We just didn't get in. You know how long it took them to get in? Look at verse um, <laughs> 3, the very first part. It says, but 40 years after the children of Israel left, left Egypt. Took them 40 years to make an 11-day trip. That's slower than your grandma. <laughs> I've got behind some slow ones, but boy, this, this takes the cake. 11-day journey took them 40 years. And let me tell you why. They got stuck. They got stuck. I think this is the greatest example that I could find in the Scripture of being stuck. I mean, they, they were majorly stuck. 40 years it took them to make an 11-day journey. Second part of Moses' sermon, he introduces this to them, takes them back to Sinai, reminds them of what's going on now for 40 years. But in the second part of the message, he gives them three points in his sermon that explains why the journey took so long. They needed to know why so they could overcome and not make the same mistake again. By the way, you read in the New Testament, it tells you that all of these things in the Old Testament were written for examples so that we could learn from these things. We ought to be able to learn from the mistakes that they made so that we don't make the same mistakes. Amen? Isn't that what parents try to, tell, try to teach their children? We want them to learn from our mistakes. We, we, none of us were perfect, but we should be able to teach them so that they can learn and avoid the mistakes that we made. So here are the three points. Number one, he said, you rebelled against God's command. That's what got them stuck right there. This is the first thing that got them, the fir first point of what got them stuck. You rebelled. Look at verse 26 of chapter 1. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God and refused to go in. Remember I told you a while ago, they made that 11-day journey. They left Sinai. They got to Kadesh Barnea, but they didn't go in. You know why? They sent 12 spies to go in and look at the land, bring them back a report. And when the 12 spies came back, oh, Caleb and Joshua, they were two of the spies. Caleb and Joshua got back, and boy, you talk, these guys had had a party the whole time they were over there. In fact, they got so excited, they said, you know, there's no way we can describe this. If we, if we told them, they couldn't believe it. So they said, let's take them back some of this fruit. And so they cut a pole. The, the grapes were so gorgeous and so big. 
the fruit of the land, that they had to have a pole to carry them on. They took a pole, put Joshua on one shoulder and Caleb on the other, and they, they hung those grapevines on top of them, those clusters of grapes and pomegranates. And they come walking back into Israel, you know, eating pomegranate, pomegranate juice running down their beards. And they said, hey, you're not going to believe this. This is the most gorgeous land and all the, 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 the most fruitful land we've ever seen. This is the most productive soil that we've ever seen. I've never seen anything grow like what can grow in the promised land. Boy, we, we, we need to get up from here right now and get with it and go take this land. But there were 10 other spies. And 10 other spies said, yeah, what they're telling you is true, but there's giants in that land. Giants, big guys. In fact, we look like grasshoppers compared to those great big old giants. And the Bible says that the hearts of the people melted just like water. And they rebelled against God. Moses said, you refuse to go in. That's exactly what they did. They said, no, 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 we're not. No, we're not going into that. They got wall cities, walls that go up to the heavens. They got giants in the land. We're not, we're not able to do that. So they rebelled against the commandment of the Lord. Second thing that got them stuck, they complained. Not only did they rebel against God, in other words, God commanded them to go in, and they didn't go in. They rebelled against the commandment of God, and then they started complaining. For the next 40 years, they just complained. They just griped and murmured all the time. I hate that word murmur. And it's all through the, the, the journeys of the children that have said they murmured, murmur, murmur, murmur. Just complain, murmur. Everything, nothing's good enough. They even got tired of the manna from heaven. Said, we're tired of this bread. We ti they're tired of everything that God did for them. Look at verses 27 to 31 in this first chapter. He said, you complained in your tents and you said, the Lord must hate us. L listen, you talking about a pity party? Here, here's one right here. God must hate us. That's why he brought us here from Egypt to hand us over to the Amalekites to be slaughtered god performed miracles in egypt brought them across the red sea and through the wilderness so that they could be slaughtered where can we go our brothers have demoralized us with their report they tell us the people of the land are taller and more powerful than we are listen folks don't ever be afraid of tall folks Their towns are large and their walls rise high into the sky. When they, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. But here's what Moses said. But Moses said, I said to you, don't be shocked or afraid of them. For the Lord your God's going ahead of you. He'll fight for you just as you saw him do in, the, in Egypt. And you saw how the Lord our God cared for you all along the way as you traveled through the wilderness just as a father cares for a child, his child. Now he's brought you to this place. Moses said, hold it, folks. Good time of living. Stop your complaining. God has carried you like a father carrying his children all the way across the wilderness. 
God's given us everything we need. He's brought us to our destiny. Now let's go in and take it. But they just kept complaining. Let me tell you something. You can never go forward until you stop complaining. I, I could preach a sermon on this, maybe a series on this. But I want to tell you, if you're a complainer, you're, you, you're going to get stuck if you aren't already. Because when you complain, all you see is the negative. And all you see is the opposition. And the more you complain, the bigger the giants get in your eyes. The more you talk about your problems, the bigger your problems get. Boy, you just keep on. You talking about making a mountain out of a molehill, that's what complaining does. Your giants, your opposition will just get bigger and bigger. Your obstacles will get larger and larger. Your problems will get so large that, that you will be defeated just by your own complaining. Third thing, he said you refuse to trust God. Look at verses 32 and 33. But even after all he did, you refuse to trust the Lord your God who goes before you looking for the best places to camp, guiding you with a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of cloud by day. He said, what is the matter with you folks? You're complaining, and while you're complaining, God's blessing you. Look up. There's a cloudy pillow over the top of you. If it wasn't for that, the hot sun in this desert would scorch us all. But God, every day, comes with this beautiful cloud and just gives us an air conditioning system right out here in the wilderness. And as soon as the sun goes down tonight and it gets cold out here in this wilderness, God will turn that cloud into fire. And it'll be like a furnace and it's been keeping us warm now all these years. God's been blessing us and taking care of us and taking, what, why can't you see what God, but they refuse to trust God even in the middle of God's miraculous provision. They refuse to exercise their faith. Wow. Well, let me bring you to the third point of my message and the final part of this message today. The third thing in this sermon, Moses is preaching here. I'm just giving you Moses' sermon today. Moses tells them how to get unstuck and how to never get stuck again. How many of you sitting here this morning say, Preacher, I would like to know how to get unstuck and never get stuck again. Anybody? Amen. Just raise your hand if you'd like to do that. All right. This third point is for the 25 of you that want to get unstuck. The rest of you just listen in. Oh, <laughs> seriously, Moses tells them what to do. Three points. Number one, he said, be diligent to obey God's commands. Move over to Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, and here's what he says. And now, Israel, listen carefully to these decrees and regulations that I am about to teach you. Obey them so that you may live so that you may enter and occupy the land that the Lord, the God of our ancestors, is giving you. Do not add or subtract from these commands that I'm giving you. Just obey the commands of the Lord your God that I'm going to give you. Simple. And yet so many people miss it. He said, <clears throat> I'm going to give you some instructions here. 
We have the instructions for the Lord. If you'll just do what God says do, don't add to it, don't take away from it. Just do what God says do. Now, as simple as that is, a lot of us have difficulty with this. I know a lot of people that treat God's word kind of like going through a cafeteria line. Take a little bit of this, I'll take a little bit of that, I'll take a bit of the other, and then you'll leave all the stuff that you don't like. It doesn't work that way. No, 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 no. If you're going to live by the word, live by the word. Take it all. And that's what he said. Just follow the instructions of the word of God. It's right here. It's right here in the book. Just follow the instruction. By the way, this is God's manual for life. He created us in his likeness and image. He knows how we best function. And he put it right here in a book for us. All we got to do is read it and follow it, and you'll do a lot better. You know, in the, in the glove pocket of my car, there is an owner's manual. And it's written by the people that, that developed that car. And there are times that I just have to stop and go look at that thing, see what it says, because I can't figure it out by myself. And I've learned a long time ago that you'd save a lot of time if you'd just go ahead and do that first. And that's kind of contrary to the typical nature of man. We don't like to ask directions and we don't like to read instructions. But you're better off if you do. I ran into a guy several years ago. He said, I believe this thing of changing oil in your car is just a racket that's, uh, that, that the automobile makers have got with the oil company where they can get some kickbacks and make a lot of money. And he said, I just don't change the oil in my car. He said, I change the filter every once in a while, but I never change my oil. And he didn't. And he would buy a brand new Lincoln Town car every few years. And he wouldn't get 100,000 miles at it till the engine would blow up. But he didn't believe in changing the oil. I got another friend that is the exact opposite. He is a fanatic about doing everything that that manual says to do on your automobile. And he's got a, he's got a GMC Denali that he's got way past 350,000 miles. In fact, he's almost at 400,000 miles now that he's got out of that vehicle. He's a fanatic about doing He changes the oil exactly when he's supposed to. He puts exactly the kind he's supposed to. He follows that manual to the letter, and he always gets more miles out of his vehicle than anybody I ever saw. Well, the manufacturer knows how that vehicle will function best. That's why they put that manual in there. And when God made us, he gave us this beautiful, wonderful handbook called his word. And I find out every time I read it, there's something. I said, wow, I think I'll try that. Praise God. And when you follow what he says, it makes life work a whole lot better. Praise God. Your life will do better. Your family will do better. It works that way. Moses said, it, 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 if you want to get unstuck, stay unstuck. Just, just do what it says. Second thing he said, guard your memory. Guard your memory. Look at verse 9. But watch out. Be careful never to forget what you yourself have seen. Do not let these memories escape from your mind as long as you live. 
I believe, and this is just theory with me, but I believe that if the children of Israel had been a little more cautious in their memory of God's blessings, that they could have gone in after 11 days instead of having to wait 40 years. My goodness, if they had just stopped and said, when, when they brought that bad report, those 10 guys that talked about giants and all that walls and, and all that stuff, if they had just said, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, giants, I know that's big, wall city, I know that's great, but don't you remember that we were slaves in Egypt and Egypt was the most powerful nation on the earth at the time the greatest military power in the world at the time and God did 10 miracles that brought us out rejoicing healthy healed and wealthy we spoiled the Egyptians and came out loaded down with prosperity if God could do that then the same God's been with us all the way across the wilderness. He opened the Red Sea. Yes, give him praise. He brought us across the Red Sea. He gave us water from a rock. He gave us manna from heaven. He's taken care of us. He's brought us to the door of the promise. The promise is exactly what he said it would be. We're more than able. I want to tell you, memory is so important that's why i've got notebooks full of prayers and answers to prayers because the devil does the same thing to me that he does to you every once in a while when you hit a snag or a hard place or a bump in the road or maybe a mud puddle that you're about to get stuck in the devil will say see there god don't answer your prayer he answers everybody else but he don't answer you you ever had that to happen to you? That's why I keep a record of answered prayer. God's answered more prayers for every one of us than we remember. He really has. But if you'll remind yourself of those things, it just builds your faith. Back in 1989, when we were merging two churches together, We, we knew that it was going to be quite a challenge, especially at Crawford Avenue. We had taken the vote at the independent church that merged with us, and the vote was 100%, but we knew that there was going to be some pretty strong opposition when we presented it at Crawford Avenue. We, we, we just knew that we hadn't developed it enough in the minds of the people there wasn't a complete buy-in and we were really concerned about that but we knew that it was god's will and so on the sunday night that we were having the conference to vote whether or not to merge those two churches my wife and i ate lunch and we came right back to the church and i remember it well i can even remember the car i was driving <laughs> We were sitting behind the church after service. I had talked to my overseer about it because I, I knew that it might be difficult. And I also knew that, that, I might, that it might not pass. And I, I told my overseer, I said, if I present this to, to our congregation at Crawford Avenue, 
and it fails by vote, then I feel like personally that, that I need to move. I feel like that obviously my leadership is not trustworthy. I'm, I'm not going to be angry or anything, but, but I just feel like it would be best for me, best for the church, and best for everybody if I move. And he said, okay. If they, if they don't vote for it, he said, this church has just come open, and he named the church, and it was in a city that Faye and I really liked, and it was, would have been a great promotion for us at the time. And so we knew that if it failed, that we could go. And Faye said to me that afternoon, boy, I dread going in there. This is going to be tough. Why don't, why don't we just call it off? And why don't we just call the overseer in the morning and take a promotion and move on? And, and we talked about it a little bit. And I said, yeah, but here's the thing. I got to live with myself. And for the rest of my life, if I don't present it, I gotta, I'm going to have to live with the fact that I knew what the will of God was for our church and I wasn't man enough to present it. So I said, I, I have no choice. I'm going to have to present it. If they vote it down, it's fine. We'll, then we'll move. But right now. And as we sat there, all of a sudden, she just started rehearsing some of the things that God had done for us in the past. Just bringing up those things. Just a little walk down memory lane. She reminded me that when we went to the first church we pastored, that it was split wide open. Half of the congregation was going to leave if I made a decision this way, and half of them was going to leave if I made it the other. That's what we ran into six weeks after we, after we um, took that church. We were dealing with that major problem. And she said, you know, the Lord brought us through with that, and we only lost one family. Supernaturally, God just stepped in and put that thing together and gave us what he took care of us with that. We, we were reminded that, when our first baby was born, we had no insurance, and we were evangelizing, and we were just barely getting by, and God took care of us. They told us at the hospital, if you don't have the money when you come in, we won't take you. That's what they told me. They weren't going to take faith the hospital, at the hospital if I didn't have the money to pay the bill. Now, I don't know whether they would have rejected us or not, but they told us that, and um, we believed it. God supernaturally provided. I mean, we went back, we went through the, we literally went through the, our income and our outgo for that year. And our outgo was more than our income. And yet God blessed us and all of our bills were paid. How did that happen? God's a great provider. You, you, you can trust God. And we just sat there for about an hour or so. And talked about things that God had done for us. Just rehearsed those things one by one. And when we got finished, boy, faith was rising in our hearts. We walked into that meeting that night without fear, knowing that God would take care of the situation. And God supernaturally put it together. And everything you see on this hill today, God did it. We don't take any credit for it. I tell prospective members, what you're looking at at this building and this grounds, these properties, everything that you see at New Hope, all of us miracles of God. We didn't do it. God provided it. I want to tell you, God's good. 
God is good. And, and Moses is saying, you, you need to remind yourself, for goodness sakes, God didn't bring you out of Egyptian bondage and bring you all the way across the Red Sea in the wilderness for you to fail now. This is his promise. And can I say to you this morning, friend, God did not rescue you from sin and Satan's bondage and pull you out of that for you to be defeated. No, God has pledged himself and committed himself when he saved you by his blood, by the blood of his son, Jesus, and pulled you out of the miry clays of sin and set your feet on a solid rock and established your goings. He pledged himself and committed himself to get you through the wilderness of this life to the pearly gates of glory and the streets of gold. And right now he's preparing a place for you in that city. He's going to get you there. Glory to God. Glory to God. That's the promise of God. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Third and final thing. He said, pass it on. Look at verse 9, chapter 4. Be sure to pass them, these ordinances, these promises, these great testimonies of what God has done. Be sure to pass them on to your children and to your grandchildren. Oh, listen, church, this morning we have a responsibility to pass our testimony on to the next generation. Amen. I, our kids are not going to get the Word of God if we don't give it to them. When I was a boy, you got it in school. We had devotions every morning. We had scripture verses that we, were, we, we had to memorize in a public school where I was raised. You don't get that in school now. Pass it on. Pass it on. You want to stay unstuck? Here, here's the thing. When you pass it on, when you talk about it, it just causes faith to rise in your heart again. You, you can't tell your kids about what God's done for you without being rejuvenated in your spirit and pressed on to go forward. When you start testifying to your kids about what God's done for you, it'll, it'll push you on. It'll push you out of the mud hole, boy. It'll get you on solid ground. It'll get you, it'll get you wheels gripping the ground again. You'll start moving forward. We've got God intended for us to go forward. Look how he made us. You can walk backwards, but it's very uncomfortable because God made you to walk forward. That's how your feet work best. Amen. Look at you. We're built to go forward. Praise the Lord. And God wants you this morning. Let me close with this. Here's the conclusion of my message, and we'll stand together. They're going to put it on the screen. If you miss everything else, I say get this, because this is a nugget that you can live by. Obedience brings blessings and victory. But disobedience brings defeat and heartache. Anybody here can testify to that? I, unfortunately, I can tell you from experience. Obedience brings blessings and victory. I'm glad to tell that. But I've also been disobedient. And I have gotten stuck. I laid in the floor in Richmond, Indiana, in the little church of God on South 6th Street, no, and cried my heart out to God. And I said, God, I have missed your will, and I have been disobedient. 
But I promise you one thing. If you'll help me get back into your will, I'll never intentionally on purpose walk out of your will again. God was merciful, and he let me back in. And I want to tell you it's better to obey. It's, that's, the way, that's the way to go. That's the way to go. That'll keep you moving forward. And God intends for you to succeed. Will you stand with me, please, all over the building? Unless you have to, I'm going to ask you to please don't leave. We've, we've got a couple more things that we want to do in this service. It won't take a long time. Brother Ben Johnson's here this morning, and he's uh, fixing to embark on a very, very strategic mission that he needs our prayers, and we're going to pray over him. And we also have some folks that are going to join the church this morning. And so if you'll just stay another five, ten minutes, we'll take care of all of that. But right now I'm going to ask you to bow your head with me all over the congregation. And I'm going to ask you this question. If you'll say, Preacher, I realize this morning that I've been stuck. I've been hindered in my forward progress. I've been going around the same old mountain, dealing with the same old problem over and over again. I feel like I'm stuck, and I I need to get unstuck this morning. Will you pray for me in this prayer? Nobody looking around, but would you just raise your hand? I feel like I'm stuck. I, I need to get unstuck this morning. Thank you. God bless you. You can put them down, a number of you, probably a hundred Let's pray. Father, you saw every hand. You know every heart. You see every need. And it's not your will that we be stuck. Even as you said to Moses, it's time to break camp and move forward. I believe this morning that a word for this congregation is let's move forward. I know that you desire that for us. And I know that the promised land is waiting on us. You have destiny in mind. You have good things ahead for us. And so I pray, O Lord, that you will help us this morning. First of all, we repent. If there's any rebellion in our hearts this morning, we just ask you to forgive us for that. And we surrender it. And Lord, we pray that you'll forgive us for complaining. And we repent of that this morning in Jesus' name. By your help and your grace, we'll stop being complainers. And instead, we will begin to remember and call attention and testimony to the good things that you have done for us. In Jesus' name, now set us free. And may may this coming week be a great week of forward progress for every man, woman, boy, girl in this building today. For the glory of God in Christ's name, amen and amen.